0: From, from the Sharangama Sutra. Sharangama, which means absolutely durable, the indestructible. Passage from the Sharangama Sutra. Quote, People who undertake a spiritual practice, but who fail to realize the ultimate enlightenment, all fail because they do not understand the two fundamental roots and are mistaken and confused in their practice. They're like someone who cooks sand hoping to prepare a delicious meal. Even if the sand were cooked for eons, numberless as motes of dust, no meal would result from it. What are the two roots? Ananda. The first is the root of beginningless birth and death which is the mind that seizes upon conditions and that you and all living beings now make use of, taking it to be the self-nature. The second is the primal pure substance of the beginningless awakened Nibbāna. It is the primal, bright essence of consciousness that can bring forth all conditions. Because of conditions you consider it to be lost. Living beings lose sight of the original brightness, the fundamental understanding. Therefore, though they use it to the end of their days, they are unaware of it. And without intending, they enter the various destinies. End of quote the two fundamental roots, not understanding. We don't accomplish our goal of awakening and leaving behind suffering. The analogy is the it's as if cooking sand, hoping to get a meal, even for eons. That first root of beginningless birth and death, the first one, the, the mind that sees his conditions, that grasping, taking it to be me, our true heart, our true nature. We do this with form, with feeling, with patterns, with thoughts, with circumstances. In Zen, they call sometimes they call it polishing a brick, trying to get a mirror. You can polish that brick. I mean, you can have 10 out of 10 for effort. Heck, you can even get gold stars for effort. But no matter how much you polish a brick, it's not going to become a mirror. Squeezing conditions, even if we get more subtle, more subtle, more subtle sensations. Deeper, 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 more and more peaceful. It's like cooking sand, hoping for a meal. It's like trying to polish a brick. It's asking conditions to do what conditions can't do. Or as the Buddha would say, it's like a yacht chasing its tail, or trying to grasp air or empty space we just reap weariness that first root mind that seizes on conditions taking it to be the self-nature taking it to be me taking it to be the truth the second fundamental root is m- root missing that essence of consciousness The Buddha said, even though we use it to the end of our days, we lose touch with this fundamental understanding, this, what can be sometimes translated as the original brightness. Pure awareness. What is called in this sutra the Tathagata Garba. Garba's womb. Matrix. Matrix comes from the root mother, that which gives forth, gives birth to the awakened ones. We lose touch with this primal context. Notice these two roots, notice how wonderful. The Theravada Sutta, the Mula Sutta, the Sutra on roots. How wonderful. The ten lines, succinct, awesome, teaching. The first line, rooted in desire, friend, are all things. That's this mind that sees its own conditions. Generating... This, this world that seems so real to us. It's not that there's nothing, but when it's rooted in a desire tinged with a confusion, taking something to be me and mine that really isn't. And then notice at the end of the sutra, merging in the deathless, once mindfulness, Wisdom penetrates all that we've taken to be me and mine and begins to recognize experientially anicca, changing nature. Dukkha, that no matter how much one grasps it, that which changes, it can't satisfy us. It's unreliable by its nature. Anatta it is not mine it's not an entity it's not a thing the essence of atta is the sense of there's there's a separate self here when we see change that leads to anatta all these so-called separate things are not independently existed they're dependent on all other sorts of conditions The famous Vajra Sutra, the Diamond Sutra, the Buddha compares all conditions to dreams, illusions, bubbles, shadows like dewdrops in a lightning flash. Contemplate them thus. Dreams, illusions, bubbles, shadows like dewdrops, dewdrops. One of my favorite activities in South Africa for years when we had our beloved dharma protector, personal trainer, guru and therapist, our dear dog. My favorite thing is taking him for a walk. He used to love going up the mountains, and that, that's how he was my personal trainer, helped my health come back. But in his older age, when he couldn't do that, he'd walk on the road. Everybody knew Jack. He had Zulu names, Polly names, Old Testament names, New Testament names. But walking in the morning, the trillions of dewdrops glistening in the light, like jewels, a jewels adorned realm perception with mano vinyana, notices the dewdrops. They become things. They become, wow, they're wonderful. But the Buddha says all conditions are like dewdrops. Do dewdrops have independent existence? They're in a dynamic, mysterious relationship with the atmosphere, with the sun with so many other conditions. So though we imagine that they are, have independent existence, as the sun gets higher, the atmosphere changes, the dewdrops vanish. The dewdrops are in relationship. You can't separate them from the environment. Lightning flash. The lightning flash. We try to catch it, ungraspable. But if we widen the awareness, we realize that lightning flash is happening in the deep, luminous immensity of a night sky. Arising on desire, yet merging in the deathless, once wisdom sees the empty nature, revealing that ground, the ever present ground of the heart, sky like heart, this womb that gives rise to all conditions. When we're only focused on conditions, no matter how much we purify them, make them more and more subtle, it's like trying to polish a brick or trying to cook sand. That is why there is no awakening, there is no freedom in the Buddhist teachings if there's only conditions. If there were not the unconditioned, said the Buddha, the uncreated, the unoriginated, there would be no escape from the condition. So, in the Buddha's teachings, there's, yes, we we touch, we inquire, we look into, but then we release. That's why in the Anapanasati Sutta, it builds up to the very last training. Training ourselves as we breathe in and out, as we go about our days, patinisaka, relinquishing, giving back, letting go. It's not throwing out, not getting rid of, but releasing the, the grasp. Conditions are revealed in their nature, changing, empty nature, and in letting go of the grasp, the luminosity the ever-present ground of the heart reveals itself and there's relief So we're resting in that fundamental condition of effortless knowing. That's why Lumpacha would say being the knowing, being Buddha, So in this turning the mind of the deathless or what we're calling the sharangama samadhi we're not throwing out conditions but returning the mind to look into the source. It can be called radical reflection. Contemplating the source. Contemplating the root. The first time this breakthrough happened for me, I was polishing the brick in my early monastic days. I mean, I had heard teachings about letting go, but I loved Samadhi. I love it getting calmer, smoother, brighter. Hanging on to sensations so that everything was so fluid, so vibratory, the whole world just vibrating. Still somehow had the idea if I just kept clamping down, there would be an explosion. Blow this thing out of here. But it was a certain level of calm, but they were still trying, trying to get deeper, deeper, deeper. I was still leaning on conditions. If you lean on that which changes, then your abiding is. Uncertain. Then I came across uh, my dear friend Anando, wonderful fellow monk who was the abbot of Chidhurst Monastery for many years. Vietnam veteran. Barely survived with a wound to the back, wound to the head. in disillusion with the whole war thing and found his way to Ajahn Chah. And I was in Thailand. When he'd gone off, they'd been invited to start this Vihara monastic residence in London. And I was at this branch monastery with a tough Ajahn, who was the toughest Ajahn, and I didn't want to go to some easy place. I thought, you're not going to make progress, Kitty's unless you really go for it, go to where the toughest teacher is. <laughs> so I went there. Ended up getting quite sick, but I'm getting ahead of myself. While I was there, at Ajahn Chans Monastery, in the northeast of Thailand, I get a book from Anando. With a hundred or so sayings that had been recorded and translated by this wonderful translator, Mars Friedman. The book was sayings from Sri Nisargadatta. I am that. And the first time I, I got the sense, I didn't have the image polishing a brick, but I saw that I'd been putting all the emphasis on conditions. And Nisargadatta said something like, all change registers on a changeless background. I had never really conceived of the back ground, the matrix. Was so focused on getting things smoother and subtler and that all of those sensation thoughts were appearing to the heart. And he had a method which is a Huato. It's a it's Chinese Huato, but word head, a word or a phrase that dissolves and turns you back to the root condition. It can be a question like we, I discussed, reflected last night, like who. But Nisagadatta's wato was just the phrase I am. Usually I am, I am, I am getting, I'm making progress. I'm getting there. Or I am... I, I somewhere took a wrong turn. I'm I'm lost. I'm happy. I'm the best. I'm the worst. I'm confused. Usually we latch onto a condition, this root of birth and death. But rather than I am this and I am that, just the phrase I am, and then letting that phrase dissolve, resting in that, Silence. The mind not clamping on any condition. Just getting a sense for the background, the root. The most ordinary feeling. Presence. Just presence. And it was a breakthrough because I had had never... Turn the mind back. Then all sorts of thoughts came, but I didn't. Well, they're just the visitors. I'm not this, I'm not that. I'm just coming and going. If I find myself clutching at anything, just let it go and just. Just very occasionally, just I am, and let that thought dissolve into the listening silence. Just resting in that amness, beingness, knowingness, effortlessness of being. I didn't know to call it turning the mind to the deathless, but it was my first experience. It was such a radical change not trying to squeeze conditions to get them to be more than they can be. It's not trying to ask a duck why it isn't a chicken. As Ajahn Chah smiled when he said, that's what we do when we're trying to make conditions into what they can't be. All of this is reflections on papanja, this very important word in the Pali texts about this mad mind, conceptual proliferation that's rooted in not careful attendance of our relationship with language, with concepts, with words. We just assume words are the truth. In this primal word, I, then suddenly creates you. Here, there, yesterday, tomorrow, Suddenly, the world's very complicated. The Buddha encouraged us to see this proliferating mind and to practice nipapancha, non proliferation. Learning to allow the mind to go silent. I mentioned last night in the teaching on Saka's questions how the Buddha identified and in many other places. He talks about the extreme significance of this papanja as an origination of suffering. But he talked about how this, this papanja sannyasangha, this tendency leads to obsessive thinking, desire, making it distinguishing like and dislike, what I like, what I don't like, what I want, what I don't want. And that then can give rise to envy of what someone else has and stinginess around what I got, which leads to this conflict in the world. When he was talking about how to what is the path to non-proliferation? He didn't say just throw out thought. Thinking, he said most importantly, thinking is useful for helping us assess, is this wholesome or not? Is what I'm doing, that does it lead to increase of good qualities? Okay, that's good. Or does it lead to the decrease in good qualities of heart? Does it lead to the increase in harmful qualities? In other words, does whatever I'm doing lead to more aversion, more confusion? So the Buddha said it's useful to think. That's one use of thinking. Is something wholesome or not? And then once you've decided, he said, it's good to avoid what's not wholesome do what is wholesome. But then, if you're doing something that's wholesome, the Buddha said, there's two sorts. Sometimes you're doing it just thinking, pondering. There's a lot of analysis, commentary going on. But if you can do it without thinking and pondering, the Buddha said, it's more excellent. Encouraging us to not make war on thought, but learning to allow thought to subside, to minding the gap, to learning how to dwell. If you're drinking a cup of tea, you can still say, oh, I'm drinking a cup of tea. But if it's so busy with commentary, well, one could just say, drinking tea, let that just be a hint of a thought directing the attention and then allow the mind to be Quieter. Notice what creates the sense of subject object. What creates the separation from here to there, me to you? A certain relationship with thinking. As we learn to savor the ending of a thought, learning to abide silently with whatever is this subject-object dichotomy collapses that's why it's called an intimacy because the heart is just open the huato the questions do that notice that when there's a question who who's striving who striving? That subtle returning of the awareness. And hmm, inquiry. then thoughts disappear for a time. As one looks freshly, it's a Dhamma vichaya, it's an inquiry. Hmm. Who returns the light inward to empty the sense of self? Sometimes there's uninvestigated sense of, what do you mean who? It's, It's me. Very important to hear that. It's me. And we hear that inner sound of Me arising and ceasing. Where is this me located? If the question is what? What is it? What is this? If we are in a mood and snagged by something, we can ask the question, what is this? What is it? Right after that thought ends, looking freshly, the views and opinions for a time are gone as we're just naked, direct connection with phenomenon. What, the question what empties the sense of dharma, sense of objects. It's called Sharangama, the indestructible, the durable, because the matter that's being addressed is the fundamental principle, the timeless principle. We're turning the mind to that which is. conditions but the doubts that come up so we're using doubt if we make it too strong we just get a headache so it takes some practice let it be very subtle And it's not that we're just going hoo 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 hoo, hoo like uh, Master Wa said if you're going to go hoo hoo, hoo 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 all the time you might as well just say Kuan Yin's name or the Buddha's name it's used sparingly and right before whatever question, and our questions might change, but use sparingly. Listen to that moment right before the thought. Listen to the moment right after the thought and rest in that gap when there's no conceptualization. And hmm, it's a silent contemplation. Well, we'll notice whatever we're investigating. The conditions are coming and going like guests in that guest house. But the host, the matrix, the ground of awareness remains. Whatever we look at, a sound, sensation, is empty. But the emptiness is filled with phenomenon. If we want the emptiness to really be empty, if we want nothing in there, then we're going to get aversion. We're just not wanting to feel anything. If what we're grasping, we want to be real, we hold on to some sensation, some thought, that leads to suffering. But when there's really letting go, things are empty, but then, the phenomenon can be called wonderful existence when we're not clinging. The mysterious way in which things manifest out of this infinite potentiality of the heart is, is wondrous. The forms are empty, but the emptiness has within it forms. master wa says true emptiness does not obstruct wonderful existence wonderful existence does not obstruct true emptiness true emptiness is an empty wonderful existence Doesn't exist. Because true emptiness isn't empty, it is therefore called wonderful existence. Wonderful existence doesn't exist, and so it's called true emptiness.